This week on A Word from Bear Creek, our scripture comes from Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. I am the Lord your God. Our second scripture comes from Matthew 25, verses 41 to 46. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You who are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Good morning. I have a question for you as you think about the scripture passage. And it's a a kind of a historical question. How do you get to heaven? How do we know we're kind of on the right path? How do we know that we are closer to God's heart this year than we were last year? The Christian year ends in three weeks. It ends on Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday before Advent. This year, that means it ends on November 20th. The new year starts with the season of Advent, November 27th, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So we're about done with our year as Christians. And one of the tasks of entering this last part of the year is a tough theological task for all of us. To ask a tough theological question, are we closer to God's heart this year than we were last year? Or we're moving in the right direction? So how do we know if we're closer to God's heart or not? Well, the Bible, believe it or not, is is pretty clear about it. Jesus tells us how we are to know that we are closer to God, and we find this passage in the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter. It's the parable of the goats and the sheep. And if you're goat fans, I love goats too. But in this case, in this story, they're not the heroes. The sheep are. The sheep are moving towards God's hearts, and the goats are moving away from God's hearts. And how do we tell? Well, it says in the 42nd verse of the 25th chapter, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they would all answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you thirsty and hungry and a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then Jesus answered them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Now listen. Let's get this straight. Jesus isn't saying that we get to heaven by feeding the poor, caring for the least of these. This isn't the root of salvation, but it has everything to do with the fruits of salvation. Jesus is not saying, find a poor person, write a check to him or her, and you will get into the kingdom of God. 
Instead, he's saying really the reverse here. He's saying that the way that you know heaven has legitimately got into your skin, into you, is that you are generous. Just read the text. Is life for you all about jet skis or another vacation home or a $5 cup of coffee? If that is it, consume, 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 Jesus is saying that you don't have a theological leg to stand on. Well, there's nothing wrong with a $5 cup of coffee, nothing wrong with several hundred dollar pair of jeans. I don't think you'll find anything against that in Scripture, but there's nothing really wrong with money. But there is a whole lot wrong with our love of money, and we all love it. If you read through the Scriptures, and every time you saw a verse that says something about the poor, the orphan, the widow, or the immigrant, you would discover by the time you got done reading that scripture that there are about 2,350 verses that talk about God's heart for the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant. Wayne Gruden, a great systematic theologian, once said this, the Bible is a fundamentally a transcript of God's heart. And if that is the case, if it is true that there are over 2,350 verses in our Holy Scriptures that talk about the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant, and I do nothing for them, I do not have God's heart. In Leviticus, God is poising God's people for the entrance to the promised land. The long-awaited sojourn is about to come to an end. And God pauses before they cross over to set up their economy. He wants to get that economic plan out there right away. They were to be an agrarian society who were to live off the fruit of the land. And so in Leviticus, we read this very interesting rule. It's very clear. When you go out into your field, do not glean to the edges of the field. Rather, leave margins for the poor to glean. Let me read that again. When you go to your fields, do not glean to the edges of the field. Rather, leave margins for the poor to glean. This is God's welfare strategy. And notice how different it is from America. We've got to get every ounce you can out of every single property, retirement fund, stock, or bond. Nope. Leave margins. Leave room. Leave space for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. What God wants cannot be ignored here. To tell a farmer not to max out his harvest all the way to the fence line, but to leave crops on the field is the equivalent of leaving money on the table. By the way, just an aside, this is how Boaz meets Ruth. Boaz is a rich farmer. He leaves room in his fields for the poor and the orphan, and the widow, and the immigrant to glean, just like God says. And Ruth is a poor widow and an immigrant. And she goes into his fields and she gleans. They are both following what God suggests. And there in God's margins, Boaz meets a fine sister in the process. Amen. Good things happen in the margins sometime. I believe that in the New Testament, God is saying to us, Look at your finance time. Don't do the typical American thing. The American thing is to get a raise, max out the budget, get a raise, max out the budget, or go over. He's saying, or God's saying to every one of us, leave margins. 
grow the margin between what you get and what you give every year, to grow the margins in your field every year, to be generous. That's how you become close to God's heart. One of the cool things about thinking about life this way is that the margins of generosity can come in so many forms and ways. Yes, it can come in gifts of money for others. It's a great way to give. But it can come in other ways too. You don't have to be rich to be generous. It can come in how you're treating your family or close friends, your spouse, your partner. Are you more generous in your attitude toward your kids or your best friend or your partner? Is there more room in there for forgiveness this year or adventure or laughter or second and third chances? Generosity isn't just about money. I think it can also be about spirit and our time. When someone comes into your office and needs to talk, do you give them the time to air it out and speak from the heart? Or are you secretly looking at your watch, hoping she or he or they will get the hint? When someone comes into my office in need of some money for groceries, do I just whip out my checkbook in an attempt to get them out of there? (laughs) Or do I take the time and honestly and empathetically listen to where they are? Do I listen for their spiritual needs too? Some people say the new commodity in today's economy isn't money at all, but time. To be honest, we have a hard time with time issues here at Bear Creek. We have an hour choir practice, but can we take some time at the end of our practice to listen to each other, to share and care for each other? Last week, we had our trunk or treat event at the church, and I was so impressed by how many of you came to the event and put your heart into it, 100%. You weren't looking at your, your phones to see what time it was. You weren't hoping no one would come. You didn't skimp out and buy the cheapest candy possible. Bear Creek. You were generous. I was so proud of you. The margins were overflowing, and every person who came to that event felt it. We were closer to God by giving in such a way. Do we give the same spirit when we worship, when we study, when we reach out to the Afghanistan families, when we sing a special number, when we read Scripture, when we listen to Scripture and to the message? One of the most generous acts of love that I've ever received was by a church, a little rural church in Geddes, South Dakota. Cindy and I were as green as green could be. I'd just gotten out of seminary. We didn't have a penny to our name. And when we got there, to be honest, we didn't have a lot to offer that congregation. Both of us made some horrific mistakes, but that congregation just kept the margins on the page. They just kept giving us grace. They gave us second and third chances. They gave us time. The spring of that first year, Cindy's mother died tragically after a long fight with MS. She was in her 60s, young. Cindy was so young. Our kids, we only had two back then. We had four eventually, and they were only six and four. Cindy's mom, Joss, died right around Easter. It was a busy time for the farming community out there in Gaddis, South Dakota. Calving season, preparing the land for planting. I I was to do the funeral for Cindy's mom, and I was absolutely frozen in fear. It was not only one of the first funerals I had done, but it was going to be a huge funeral in Cindy's hometown. 
all the family was going to be there. Avon was about an hour away from Geddes where we lived. And I remember going there that morning feeling just so alone, feeling the weight of the world upon me, feeling that I should have been by Cindy's side the whole time, not doing this service. And as I got up to the pulpit to look out upon 300 folks from Avon, some I knew, not many, though, I looked to the back of the church, and there in the back were 14 folks from the Geddes United Methodist Church, and soon to be my best friend, Rick Pittenger, who was my appointed mentor, who was a pastor and busy in Harrisburg, South Dakota, and my district superintendent was there, Hank Kaur. And for one of the first times in my life, I understood what leaving the margins meant in the biblical sense. These folks, each one of them, had crops to plant, calves to take care of, sermons to write, pastors to lead, kids of their own to take care of, jobs they should have been at. And there they were, leaving a margin for me, for Cindy. And when the tears came roaring upon me as we put Cindy's mom in the ground out in the graveyard, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, Hank and Rick took my staff and gave the blessing for me so I could be with Cindy. I was an orphan, a widow, an immigrant, and they gave me margin and grace. Folks, the pandemic did something to us. And if there's one thing I think it did to me, is it shrunk my heart for God. And I need this church to help me grow my heart of generosity back. I need this church to be that group of people at the Trunk or Treat event, at that choir rehearsal, at our Bible stories, or, or our worship service, because without you, every single year, my heart is in jeopardy of getting smaller and smaller and smaller of traveling further and further and further away from the God I have come to know in scriptures and in and through Christ and in and through the church. And I'm guessing I'm not alone. Generosity, my friends, is the path God has set before us. It's our road to the promised land. Let's walk it together. And all the people said, amen.